to better our relationships with others, it's important to be emotionally intelligent. This is the third message in the series, Whose Friend Are You? The message is entitled, Get Smart. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. We continue our series together entitled, Whose Friend Are You? How You Upgrade Your Friendships. And I want to talk specifically this weekend about getting smart in your relationships. How do you get smarter about the relationships of your life? Really, apart from your relationship with God, the most important next thing in your life will be your relationship with people. Because the people you interact with throughout your life are literally shaping your life far more than you realize. The friends you choose, the people that you're around the most, those people are going to have an impact on who you become as a person. And so your life is being shaped by relationships. Early on in life, as a little kid, you grow up in a family, your family shapes you and your school environment shapes you and you don't have much choice, generally speaking, as a little kid related to your friends, but as you get older, you need to become and I need to become more proactive when we choose friends. We have to realize that we have a responsibility to actually make sure we have the right people in our lives. We don't just passively accept the people around us as our friends, but we say, this is the kind of friend that I'm looking for. And one of the things that I'm growingly, in a growing way, understanding more in my life and as a pastor as well is to understand that who we are as people says, really actually is very significant when it comes to attracting friends in your life. You're going to attract people like you. Who you are as a person is going to, to, to determine who will show up in your world. And so I talked the first weekend in this series about the importance of getting your values right, knowing what you believe, and being solid, being grounded in your life. Very, very important that you know who you are and what you believe, and your value system is settled because you're going to attract people like you. And then we talked last weekend about the importance then of learning how to be nice, how to be considerate. And I dedicated that message last weekend to my mom, who was always such a very considerate person. And then there's one more thing today we want to add as we're continuing through this series together. I want to talk to us about something social scientists call emotional intelligence. I'm calling it getting smart. And what I want you to realize is that you and I have a responsibility not only to choose the right friends, to be the right kind of person, to have the right kind of values, to learn to be considerate of others, but we also have a responsibility to educate ourselves, educate ourselves relationally, to learn how to actually get smart, to learn the things that will enable us to be the kind of friends that we need to be and have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. And you can study all the self-help books in the world. There are a lot of great ones out there. I, I read them from time to time myself. But I want you to understand that the greatest relationship manual you will ever read is your Bible. There's nothing better than the Bible when it comes to understanding how God designed us to have relationships. And so while we can read all the great social scientists and all the great information psychologically and those things, and certainly they have a dimension of value to us, I'm not in any way demeaning any of that, but I will tell you, uh, there is no truth except what is God's truth. And I will tell you what truth you find in the world, God already has it in his word. 
It's right there in his word. And so studying his word is, uh, in, 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 in the context of relationships is extremely important. So I want to begin today with a couple of passages for you that will help us to understand what God says about relationships, at least some of what God says about them. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus had been with the Pharisees, religious leaders of his day, and they'd asked him some questions about the resurrection, some theological questions. And then another one of the teachers of the law asked another question. Notice what happens here. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, that's Jesus and the other religious leaders, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, now he's going, this other man's going to ask Jesus another question. So he asked Jesus this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Let's stop there for a moment. So here's this guy coming up to Jesus saying, hey, there's a lot of commandments in the Bible, a lot of commandments that we have in our Jewish religion. Of all of them, of every one of these commandments, Jesus, tell us what's number one. What is the most important one? Now notice Jesus' response. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so here's the question. Let's stop there just for a moment. So Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment of all the commandments? What was his answer? The first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. I think that you could agree with me that Jesus could have stopped right there. Could he not have? He could have stopped. That's the most important thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important thing. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus continued to answer the question with this next phrase. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus said, oh, before I conclude answering this question, what is the most important of all the commandments? Yes, it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But, but well, well, time out. Understand also the second is equal to it, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus include loving your neighbor as yourself in the same context of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because, understand this, because from God's perspective, you can't love him without loving people. And you can't effectively love people without loving him. Let me say that again. You can't love God without loving people. And you can't effectively love people without loving God. You'll never learn how to love people without having a love for God. And if you say, I love God and don't love people, you've got a real problem in your life. If you're saying, hey, I love God, don't like people, there's an issue. So real spiritual development in your life involves relational development. It involves not only learning to relate to God and love Him, but it also involves relating to and loving one another. It was an answer to the question, what is the most important commandment? Now notice again what Jesus said about relationships. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, you know it as the golden rule. Why don't you read it together with me? Let's all read it aloud and loudly. Do to... Do, others as you would have them do to you. Jesus gave us a relational, a very simple relational principle. And he says, here's the deal with the relationships. You need to treat other people the way you want other people to treat you. Here's the way it works. If you will treat people the way you want them to treat you, then you will enhance the relationships 
of your life. Now, I think that you would agree with me this, this morning as we're taking a look at this particular verse that our world would be a whole lot better if we did to others in the way we wanted them to do to us. Would you agree with me? Okay. So do you see how important this is to Jesus, how important relationships are? Jesus didn't just talk about our relationship with God. He talked a lot about our relationship with God, but he also talked a whole lot about our relationships with one another. They go together. You cannot separate them. The best relationship manual you will ever read is your Bible. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk to us about how do, we, how do we actually get smart? How do we learn to do to others as we would have them to do to us? How do we get smart in our relationships? And I'm going to share with you four simple things today that will help you on this journey. I'm going to say this before I go into these four things. There's not a single one of us here today, including myself, that have arrived at any of these things. We're on a journey. So if as, I, as I'm going through these things today, if you think that you're coming up short, join the crowd, okay? We all come up short from time to time in these areas. And one of the beautiful things about God is he's not expecting us to be perfect all the time, but he does expect us to be growing, amen? So it's not a matter of whether you've gotten there. The issue, are you heading in this direction? Are you learning these things in your life? And my simple prayer for this message today is it will prompt us and move us along, all of us, on this journey to together. So let me share with you four things that will help you to do to others as you would have them to do to you, to love God and to also love people. Here's your first point today. To do so, you have to learn more about you. You might think that's a strange place to start when we're talking about others, but it really is a vital place to start because there's one common denominator, one common element in every one of your relationships. And the common element in every relationship that you have in your life is you. Any relationship you have, you bring you into it. So you're a part of, if you're married, you bring you into your marriage. Your friendships, you bring you into your friendships. And so you are the common denominator in every relationship that's a part of your life. And it's very sad to think about, but, it's, but, it's, but it certainly is true that, there, that oftentimes we, we know very little really about ourselves. We don't know much about our motives and much about our baggage and much about who and what we are and why we respond the way we do. And so because we don't know much about us, when a problem comes up in a relationship, here's our tendency. All of us have this tendency. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3. We have the tendency to blame other people for our relationship problems. That when a problem comes up, it's got to be your fault because I don't know very much about me. I just know that you're bad and the relationship and you've messed up. And so now I'm thinking more about what's going on with you that I'm aware of what's really happening inside of me. And so here's that big issue. When you don't know much about you, you will tend to blame other people for every relationship problem you have in your life. Jesus addressed this as well. Matthew chapter seven, listen to what he said. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a 
log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus says, here's the deal with the relationships. So often what happens is you And I, we all have a tendency to project problems onto the other person. It's their fault. It's the the thing going on with you. It's your issues. And because you have these issues, we have these problems. Have you ever been there before? You don't have to say yes. You don't even have to move your head. Everybody's been there, okay? We've all been in those situations where we wanted to blame somebody else for what was going on in the relationship. Jesus said, time out. No, no, no. Spend your energy not looking at the speck in your brother's eye, your sister's eye, your husband's eye, your wife's eye, your children's eyes. Don't spend the time focusing on the speck in somebody else's eye, the issues in their life. No, turn it around. Get yourself a spiritual mirror and take a look at the log that is in your own eye. It's only then when you and I are learning about ourselves that we can begin to address things in ourselves that will help us to be the people that we need to be in life. So you're responsible, I'm responsible for becoming the kind of person that people want to journey with in life. I'm responsible for becoming the kind of person that people want to be around. I'm responsible for being the kind of person that someone would want to be a friend with. It's not just a matter of you need to be my friend. No, I need to be the person that you would want to be a friend with. And so I bear that responsibility. And so when we talk about looking at the, at the log in your own eye, we're talking about taking a look and understanding your own self, your own, your own emotions, your own motives, your own actions, your own your own attitudes. What's going on with you? What issues, what baggage have you brought into the relationship? It's only then through that self-awareness that you can begin a process of getting better, getting smarter about how you deal with others. So let me share with you how you gain greater self-awareness. How do you get to know you? I'm going to walk you through some things that are vital here. Uh, The first thing that's necessary is you have to do what I would call prayerful uh, contemplation. When you're facing an issue in a relationship, instead of focusing on the other person, begin to go to God and say, God, would you talk to me about me? Because who knows you better than anybody else? You can answer back. It's okay. Who knows you better than anybody else? God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows why you do what you do. God knows the hurts and pains in your life that you react from. God knows all the the issues, the baggage you carry with you in your life. God knows all that stuff, all those things that may have happened in your life that you kind of stuffed away somewhere down in your emotions and stuffed away somewhere and kind of forgot about, but it affected your life in some way. God knows all that stuff. He understands all that stuff about you. And here's the beautiful thing. If you'll ask him, he'll help you to see those things in your life that you're blind to so you can begin to work on them. That's what that was the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. There's know my innermost being, what's really going on with me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out 
This is a prayer. God, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let me help you to understand something here that, that I, that's, that's valuable to me as I think about this, this, this passage. Point out anything in me that does what? Offends you. Here's the thing I would submit to you today. If it offends God, it's probably offensive to people. If it's offending God, it's probably offending some people around you. And so that's why God, uh, David prays, God, would you point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the uh, path of everlasting life? So the first thing is prayer. God, help me to see me. And then the second thing would be some careful consideration. Now that you've prayed about it, you're beginning to get some insight. Lord, show me me. Help me to understand what emotions are going on inside of me. Help me to get my mind off the other person and get my mind on me. And now I'm going to consider and think about what God is is showing me when I find myself in a situation where I'm upset, I'm getting angry about something, or something is ticking me off, or something is hurting me in some way, I stop and pull back, Lord, what's, what's going on here? Help me to consider and think about what's really happening inside of me, and where is this coming from? What's causing this in my life? And it's taking that time of, t- of not stopping for the superficial answers of blaming somebody else. But again, considering what's going on with me. Remember this. If you're thinking about what somebody else said or what somebody else did, what somebody else engaged in with you, you're not not in self-awareness. You're still blaming other people. And so you have to pull back and say, God, show me. And now I'm in this situation. Let me think about what's really going on here. I want to get some insight as to why I'm responding in this way. And here's your third thing to have some comprehension that's now, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, I see that I'm I'm getting angry because it's tying into that thing that happened to me last year at the same time, and it's still hurting me, and so this situation is tied to that hurt, and now I'm beginning to understand why I'm reacting. You following me today? Why I'm reacting to this situation? So it's linked to something, and God is able to help you, so you comprehend, and then you also have a, a sense of conviction. Oh, I don't want to behave that way anymore. I want to change. I want love to flow from my life, and so you let the Holy Spirit convict you to make you aware of this thing that needs to change, and then you're sorry for anything that you're doing wrong that's contrition, It's humility. Another word for contrition is humility. You're able to humble yourself so that you're, again, not putting things on other people, but you're willing to accept responsibility yourself. But remember this. Anytime that God helps you to see something about you, and anytime God convicts you about something that's going on in your life, and he brings you to that place of humbling yourself before him and and, and, and confessing that as a sin, remember this. God never condemns you. God is not about making you miserable about you. God, anytime God corrects you, it's for one purpose and one purpose only. It's to help you, okay? It's to help your life get better. And so you don't need to be afraid of God correcting you. You don't need to be afraid of God showing you stuff about your life. Don't be afraid of that because God's for you. He's not against you. God's not trying to hurt you. God's not trying to make you miserable about your life and miserable about you're just a terrible person. No, God speaks to you because he loves you. He loves you just like you are. Listen closely. He loves you and me just like we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us the way we are. Okay? He's developing us. He's training us. He's moving us forward. It's so vital that we understand this very important principle. And then there's the application. What I mean by that is this. Now that I'm learning something from God, I have to start practicing it. If I've been reacting to a person the wrong way, 
and God shows me what's going on with me, then I'm responsible at that point to actually change, to actually begin to do things differently. That's why Jesus' words here are so important. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for what? Thinking about them? No, for what? Doing them. And so we begin to change our behavior. It's so extremely important that we follow that process. Let's go now to the second major point today. First point is, if you're getting smart, you got to learn something about you. you got to know you better. The second thing that's necessary in terms of getting smarter in your relationships, you have to discover life breaks. That's not B-R-E-A-K-S. It's B-R-A-K-E-S. Breaks. A car going down a road without any brakes is an accident on the way to happen, right? You don't want a car without brakes. You want your brakes to be fully functional. And part of becoming smarter in relationships or developing emotional IQ, we might say, is having brakes in your life. You need some brakes for four things in your life. You need brakes so you can put on the brakes when it comes to your emotions, You need breaks when it comes to your thinking, your thoughts. You need breaks when it comes to your actions, what you do or not, you you do not do. And you need breaks when it comes to your words. Everybody say, put the brakes on. There are times that you're going to have to learn. Part of getting smart is I'm learning about me, and I know that I'm about to get out of control here, and so if I don't put some brakes on, I'm going to make things worse. I'm not going to make them better, and so I've got the responsibility of putting the brakes on my emotions, on my thinking, on my actions, and on my words. Let me give you a biblical term for this. I have to learn something about self Control. What does the word self or the phrase self control mean? It means controlling yourself. Everybody listen really closely right now. Who's responsible for managing your emotions? Your husband? Your wife? That other person in the relationship? Your friend? No. Who's responsible for managing your emotions? This will help you tremendously if you begin to get this. You're the only person in the world that has the responsibility of managing your emotions. This is interesting that, uh, that in our world that we have a lot of control freaks, right? And they're always trying to control other people, okay? And, and the reality is, have you ever noticed that when you try to control somebody else, it never works? You ever been really successful at trying to control others? No, because you can't control anyone else. And here's what we do. We try to control other people that we can't control, and we miss controlling the very one we can control, that is ourself. And so it's our job, our responsibility to manage our emotions. It's our, who, Who's responsible for managing what goes on between your ears? Somebody else? No, you and I are responsible for our thinking. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind, changing the way that we think. And so that's a, that's a job that God has given to us. Who's responsible for controlling your actions? I just couldn't help it. I had to do that. I had to slap him. I'm sorry. No. It's our responsibility in each of these. Who's responsible for controlling your 
worse. I, 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 he made me say that. No, she made me. No, no, no. They, they didn't make you say that. You chose to do it. And so it's called self-control. And so in, in these four areas, we bear the responsibility to put on the brakes. Self-control. Now, remember I told you a few moments ago, what is the best relationship manual in the world? The Bible is. Okay, see what this, this says. Is this in the Bible anywhere? Yes. Here we go. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit when He's filling your life, is love, joy, peace, pa- peace, forbearance, another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and uh, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is, the Holy Spirit will help you have self-control. And then notice 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort. Now, here's what you've got to see. If you're going to have good relationship, it's going to require some work. It's going to require some work. It's, it just doesn't happen magically. Like, you know, I see couples get married sometimes. They have all these goo-goo eyes, and they're seeing stars and kisses everywhere. And then two months later, they're at each other's throat because they realize life wasn't easy and relationships have to be worked on and they didn't want to deal with that reality but the reality is any relationship in life requires work a marriage requires work if you don't work on it it's not going to work what you don't work on won't work you got to work on it a long time the easiest years of marriage are the first 25 years okay you got to put some effort into this thing. You've got to make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge what? Here's that phrase again, self-control and to self-control. Perseverance goes on to add here to perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And so self-control is included in the same context of what it means to love. You will not love well unless you learn self-control. Let's go to our third major point today. Is this helping anybody today? The third thing is you got to get smart. What is our theme today? Get what? Smart. How do you get smart? Where does it start? You learn more about you. Okay. Now that I'm learning more about me, I have to also learn, learn that sometimes I better put some brakes on because me can get out of control sometimes. And so I need to make sure I'm controlling my emotions, my thinking, my actions, and my words. It's my responsibility. And then the third thing I need to get smart in regards to is to tune in to the needs of others. We have to be able to get into somebody else's world. You have to get smart about other people, understanding them, grasping what's going on with them, what their needs are, where their hurts are, where their pains are, so that you're moving beyond just a self-centered approach to relationship, but a, 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 or an other's approach to relationship. Nothing makes a person feel better than to have somebody really understand them, right? When you know that somebody really understands what you're going through, doesn't that make you feel a whole lot better? They get it. They understand what you're dealing with. And there's, another, there's a word for that. And the word for that, this tune into the needs of others, I'm going to give you another word here, is this very simple word, but important word is called empathy. 
Empathy means that I can feel what you're going through. I am now in your world enough to understand why you're responding the way you are because I understand more about you. And that means you've got to study people. We talked a bit about that last weekend. We'll talk more about that in the days to come. But empathy is feeling for, but more than feeling for, connecting with another person's need. So it's looking for the need in another person's life and connecting with it. I'll give you an illustration of this. Let's say you have hurt your leg and your leg is lacerated, it's bleeding, it's in terrible condition, and you're really hurting. And somebody walks up to you and says, oh, I see that you're hurting. I really want to help you. And they begin to work on your arm. Now, you appreciate the fact that at least they communicated that they wanted to help, but it's like, it is not my arm. It's my leg, okay? So empathy is not just showing up and saying, I want to help you, okay? It is finding out what is knowing where to help, okay? It's knowing how to get to the pain in another person's life so you're understanding the pain, you're touching them at their point of need. Or another illustration might be you're scratching where it itches, okay? See, a scratch, scratching doesn't help if you're not scratching where it's itching, right? And so you want to find the itch in the person's life and be there empathetically to scratch, to help, or to find that point of need. Now, again, going back to my premise to begin with today, the best relationship manual in all the, in the, all the world is the Bible. So let's go to the Bible and see if this idea of empathy is in Scripture. It is, and it's found in Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we, that's us as believers, you and I, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, he is our, what is he? High priest, okay? He's in heaven. He's there on our behalf. The Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. He's the empathetic Savior. That when you're going through stuff in your life, he is able to empathize with you because he's gone through any and everything you and I have ever gone through with one exception. He never failed one time in the midst of it. And so because he's walked through it, he knows what you're facing. So you can come to his throne of grace and you know that he, if, you're, if, you, if your leg's hurting, he's not going to try to fix your arm, okay? He knows where your need is and he will respond to you in mercy and grace. He is to be the example that we follow in our lives as well. We are called to be empathetic people. Tune in to the needs of others. The last point that we'll make today, and I'm going to expand, by the way, as we go through the series on all the stuff that we're talking about. So make sure you stay with me through the entire series. But the fourth thing is fourth thing is keep growing your social skills. We're talking about get smart, okay? Well, to get smart, you have to learn skills, social skills, okay? Now, just because you live in a social world doesn't mean you have skills. There's a lot of unskilled people living in the social world, okay? We all live in the world of society. That's where the word social comes from. So just because, have you even, it doesn't take long. Read the front page of the newspaper. There are a lot of people in society that don't have any social skills, all right? We understand that, okay? 
And so you and I will improve our relationships, we'll get smarter if we develop our social skills. Here's how, how I want you to think about it today. I want, to, I want you to think about your social skills as a, as a tool belt that you wear around you. Okay? And if you're going, to, what it means is this, when, when a relationship issue comes up that you're having to deal with, you want to have a well-equipped tool belt, social skill tool belt, so you know when to pull this out and when to pull that out, when to pull listening out, when to pull encouragement out, when to pull compassion out. So you have a skill, you have a skill set that you're carrying around with you, a tool belt. Now here's the problem. Most of us have very few tools in our tool belt. Okay? We haven't developed. It's been said that for a lot of people, all they have is a hammer, and so everything looks like a nail. Okay? And so, whatever the problem is, I don't know how to fix this, give me the hammer, okay? I've seen people banging on their motors with their hammer, okay? Somehow that their motor's gonna work better because they tapped it with the hammer, okay? I've tried it, never worked for me, I'm not sure. Maybe it's worked for you, I'm not sure. But you need some other tools to be able to do things well. And the success of any mechanical carpentry job or whatever it might be is having the right set of tools. If you have the right set of tools, this makes everything so much easier. And it's so much faster and so much better. Here's the problem. We don't have a lot of tools in our tool belt. Can I ask you, what are your tool, what's your tool set look like? Here's the way it happens for a lot of people. They get into a relationship and anger comes up in the relationship. And the only tool they have is, if you're angry at me, I'm angry at you. That's my tool. If you argue with me, I'm arguing. That's my tool. I argue back with you. If you escalate something, I know how to escalate as well. And this escalation, 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 escalation. Because that's the only tool we have in our belt. Or if you have drama, I can out-drama you. Okay. And so it's, that's the only tool. So we've, we've equipped our tool belt with a lot of inefficient tools. We don't have the tools that are necessary to de-escalate, to understand, to bring relationships together. And so we're, we're whipping out tools that are making things worse instead of making things better. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to talk to you about what some of these social skills are. They're right in the Bible. You might say, Pastor, are you preaching a Bible message? You better believe I'm preaching a Bible message. Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I would say if he said it's the most important thing, it might be something we ought to learn about. Would you agree? So yes, this is the, one of the most important things that we'll ever learn in our lives, to learn how to get smart in relationships. So we're going to put a little comma right there, and that means you've got to be back next weekend because we're going to continue <laughs> this idea, this theme together. We're talking about getting smart and growing. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had today to gather around your word. We know that your word is the greatest, the greatest relationship manual that has ever been written, inspired by God Almighty, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we all have fallen short in these areas. We just want to confess that to you this morning. Thank you that you, you love us. You're, you're not here to condemn us about our failures in the past, but you're here to help us make a better future. And so, Lord, I pray that what we've talked about today would begin to resonate in our hearts, So we begin to learn something today that would begin to move us down that pathway to, to getting better, loving other people the way you want us to love them. And we ask this in the mighty, the wonderful, the great, the holy name that is above every name. 
the name of Jesus. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.